0: Hey, it's Greg Stanley. Do you know you can now win prizes such as a Starbucks gift card, Concord tickets, or car swag for being the first to answer an entertaining trivia question? Get the weekly trivia question by following me on Instagram or Facebook at The Collector Car Podcast and just DM me your answer. The first person with the correct answer wins. Also, as a new aspect of my automotive passion and hobby, I am a car specialist consultant for R.M. Sotheby's. If you need assistance consigning a collector car at Amelia Island, Pebble Beach, Auburn, West Palm, or Hershey, email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast,
1: the home for the auto
0: enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the Collector Car Market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. All right. Well, this is Greg at the Collector Car Podcast. Today, we've got a cool guest, Nick James. Nick, how are you doing today?
1: Very well. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Now, we met through LinkedIn, I think, because uh, I like your articles about the young-timer cars and sports car market which is uh, a great magazine, so I always find it interesting, and I can't quite remember how we met, but if you would, could you tell me kind of what you do, not only with Sports Car Market, but also with your main job?
1: Yeah, well, I've been working with Sports Car Market, gosh, now for maybe only, almost a decade. Uh, started doing video work with them a long time ago at the, uh, an auction in Portland, and it's uh, sort of you know, transitioned over the years to taking on uh, covering the, the Young Timer collection, which is, is fun. I'm sort of the, uh, the on-staff uh, millennial opinion on things, but I'm maybe a bit more curmudgeonly than, than uh, more millennials to me. That brings a, a little bit of fun with it.
0: For for the record, that's what I like about your articles, that curmudgeon D comes through, which I like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Sometimes it, I feel like I'm being too much of a downer, but it also is nice to maybe put a little bit of spin of reality or a, a reality check on some of these things, but we can get to that in a minute. And outside of sports car market, uh, I am the uh, director of communications for Overland Expo, which is uh, America's leading uh, event series for overlanding, off-roading, camping, all those good things
0: yeah if you would talk about uh, talk about that a little bit like what is that exactly i mean i know that's a huge thing right now with people jumping in their trucks that are all you know kitted out the right way to you know kind of go off into the woods right
1: yeah yeah i mean you know originally the overlandings you know originated in you know uh, africa uh, and australia guys that jump in their uh, land rovers typically transition to a lot of toyotas but you know drive across uh the outback or, or the bush for two weeks, and the whole idea is about um, overlanding. Is the adventure and the journey itself is the point, and not necessarily the location or you know where you're going to the destination. Um, and that's sort of come to America and um, in a, in a fun way. Obviously, we have a lot of great public lands. It's not always quite legal for people to drive it across, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of great um, wilderness. For families to explore, and that's really where it's uh, transition going from a bunch of hardened Aussie uh, bogans wheeling in the in the desert to families getting together in their jeeps, um, in their Land Rovers, and you know exploring America's uh, natural beauty and being self-sufficient along the way. You know you bring food, you know fuel, water, all those things you'd expect on an African safari, but doing it across Colorado with your family, um, and you know the i think it's it's really growing and blowing up right now in a good way so i'm i'm excited to be a part of that team and uh, expose more people to Um, overlanding and off-roading in a fun family
0: way. Now, do you have your own overland adventure you can share with us? Oh,
1: gosh. I'm always going on some, you know, because it's it's my job and my hobby, right? So I've got a Jeep Gladiator uh, pickup that I've built up for overlanding, and I was just actually out in uh, uh, eastern Oregon for a week uh, with my buddy a few weeks ago. Uh, Hit the John Day um, Fossil Bed National Monument. Also, uh, Painted Hills National Monument out there, and uh, lots of beautiful land in between. So yeah, always doing something.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Wow, yeah, that's that's uh
1: that's really cool. Awesome.
0: Well, cool. Well, now you mentioned the Jeep in your garage. Anything else in your garage?
1: Not at the moment, but uh, and I actually, write about this for a new uh, the new edition of American Car Collector uh, coming out. I think in June that uh, I've got my eye on a Corvette C4. Uh, I think that's sort of an, an underloved uh, Corvette generation, and I'm, I'm keen to put one in my driveway because you can get some really killer deals on them for under 10000 bucks. So that's what I've got my eye on next.
0: I would have to agree with you. I love the C4s, especially the later C4s. Now oh, I don't yeah. know the you know the special edition. I know they had like a teal one that was a special edition. They had a white with a red interior and had the white wheels with it as well. And then obviously you had the Grand Sport, which was what the last year of the C4s, maybe.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, if you can get a fun non, a non Grand Sport '96 because it's OBD2. I think that's the sweet spot. And uh, you know, obviously it was a short you know, model year because C5 came out that fall. But uh, those are winners if you can find them.
0: Now, so which one are you specifically looking for? You
1: know, I'm not actually married to a 96, although I do love OBD2. It takes a lot of the fear out of uh, sports car ownership. But um, you Now, know, for our listeners
0: can... and myself, what is OBD2?
1: Uh, OBD2 is the computer control system where you can plug in uh, a reader and uh, diagnose uh, problems and the car serves them up to you through a, a check engine code system, rather than trying to guess your way through what's going on with your car.
0: <laughs> so was that the first one? Was '86 ish?
1: '96 is the so yeah. '96 yeah, is when the federal government demanded all new cars have OBD2 going forward. So that makes that a little bit of an easier vehicle to own in terms of not guessing at throwing parts at maintenance, right?
0: Yeah. Ironically, I bought my first reader this week for my '99 uh, mm. 996. I was like, okay, engine, nice. engine light. That's not good. Let me plug it in. Code three oh six. Okay. I gotta change the uh the coil on the six cylinder, you know. That's it. So that's yeah. got it on order. So it helps out tremendously.
1: Cool. That's great. Yeah. My dream is to have a C four that's uh got that you know, retina burning red leather interior. Um, I think I went like white, but I'm not married to the outside color, but I have to have that
0: red. Yeah, that white with the red is real nice. I know they had that anniversary car that was maroon with maroon and a maroon top. My mm-hmm. uncle had one of those. So a lot of great options in the C4 yeah. world. So keep us apprised on that one. That would be interesting to see yeah. how that goes. Yeah, well, that's really cool. Well, now, where'd your love for cars start? Gosh, that's hard to say. You know,
1: I do. I frankly, I didn't care about cars until I was about uh, 17. I got a job at a Chevron station. Oregon Still, uh, pump your own or uh, it's illegal to pump your own gas so we have uh, gas station attendance here and uh, I got a job pumping gas at a local Chevron and started noticing cars driving through and uh, my buddy's dad got an Audi uh, when I was in high school and that was the first time I go oh man like that's a beautiful car that's cool um, and it's really you know ballooned from there um, I've, I've owned upwards of 50 cars myself um, I was an automotive journalist for seven years and had a new car each week, you know, for a week wow. in my driveway. And that, I sort of satiated a lot of that desire to get a new car all the time, thank God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just ballooned I mean, I love the idea that you can feel like a different person getting a new car, you know, and that sort of was an early stage of my life, you know, you test out sort of who you want to be growing up. I did get and buying different cars, I had a 61 Falcon when I was 19, and a a 64 Volvo 544 and actually had two of those and and things of that nature. You kind of, you play with what your personality is going to be and and cars have just become an integral part of defining my own personality, especially outwardly to the world.
0: Right, right. Now, how did you become the young timer, quote unquote, expert? Is it because obviously your age has something to do with that, but do you have an affinity for those cars? Did you own a bunch of those cars in the past? Are you an expert, you know? Kind of go over that a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. I think it is sort of that. You know, I don't have a real direct answer for that because it sort of morphed over time. I was writing about uh, for a while, I had a, a 71 MGB uh, when I lived in Detroit that I was restoring and maintaining. I was writing about that, um, and it was sort of an, an odd vehicle for a millennial to pick. And as the Young Timer, you know, market started to climb, Chester, the editor in chief, just started sending me, you know, market moment assignments and things of that nature around Young Timer, and I guess. He liked my attitude and a view of those cars. I'm not all bought in on the intrinsic value of those vehicles, especially when we see $176,000, you know, twin-turbo Targa um, Supras crossing the line. I'm I'm skeptical of that sort of value. Um, So I think I'm not just a cheerleader. I'm not rah-rah about the up-and-coming 80s, 90s market. So I think maybe (laughs) Chester likes a bit of, uh, you know, a sass and curmudgeonly attitude about this sort of stuff. So uh, that's my best guess, at least. Uh, In terms of being an expert, I mean, I was uh, a mechanic. Uh, outside of uh, high school, working my way through journalism school, I uh, wrenched on Vulva and Saab, Uh You know, and, and like I said, I've collected and owned a lot of uh, vehicles from that era as well. Back when you could get Supras for eleven grand, uh, right? one hundred seventy-six thousand dollars. You know, I've, and. Things of that nature. So, have an expert, maybe not, but do I have a, a good sense for mechanics, value, and uh, maybe have a, my finger on the pulse of pop culture? Maybe you know. <laughs>
0: well, I'd call you an expert. Now, can you tell us? Where did the young timer name come from?
1: Um, I think it was RM Auctions or RM Auction Sotheby's who originally coined it uh, last year, maybe the year before. It's it's you know it's all a blur, honestly, because when you <laughs> see these vehicles that again, were worth twelve thousand uh, dollars eight years ago, going for close to two hundred k or more, it, it all becomes a blur. But I think there was a big collection that came out of France um, that someone dubbed the Young Timer Collection because it was mostly vehicles from the 80s and 90s. Um, so I think, and frankly, I don't love Young Timer. I think it's sort of a lazy moniker. Uh, I wish someone would remake it, but I think it's got its talons now in the market and it's too late. But I really wish there were a better word for it.
0: Yeah, and it was that, I think 2017. It was the one with 140 Young Timers cars. And I remember hearing that. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to stick. And boy, it sure has <laughs> so far. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean,
1: Radwood, I think, is a better you know term, and especially with that movement, has got so much popularity. I'd love to see that get you know uh, hoisted or hoisted upon that, but I doubt it'll happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, and actually, I just had a my previous guest or one of my previous guests was Rick Schmidt from National Parts Depot, and he mentioned you know he has a two hundred and I don't know fourteen car collection. A lot of them go into the nineties, and he just didn't think there was a market for aftermarket parts for a lot of these cars because. Uh, they last so long. First off, the parts last so long, but then they're also yeah. when they're very, they're so complex, you know, and it's hard for someone in his garage to wrench on them. And uh, kind of the same feeling, like this. He he didn't think that you know he thought it would cap out sooner than later, just because of the uh, feasibility to work on it in your garage. Which is yeah. why a lot of the cars from the '60s were so popular because you could actually work on them. So well, now what trends are you seeing in yet in the young timers marketplace? Hmm.
1: It seems like um, the '80s uh, BMWs. Are, are even going up. We just saw an auction of uh, an '88 uh, BMW uh, uh, 535i go for 38 grand uh, in Utah uh, a couple weeks ago, um, and of course, any of the Alpina's uh, from that era or and, and and M cars from that era are going up. But to see just an, a 535i start kissing uh, 40 grand to me is, is crazy. And obviously, the Japanese uh, sports cars from that era are now becoming—they're worth their weight in gold. Uh, Nissan's are are um, being are retarded a little bit in in the growth, but certainly Toyotas are experiencing a huge bump right now. And I think a lot of that is tied to um, obviously the popularity of uh, Fast and Furious and putting those at the top of you know millennials' brains. And now that they've got some money, they're turning their their fortunes to that that generation.
0: Right, right. Now, how would you define young timers? Would it be cause It it does overlap into the JDM world. Would you say, I don't know, 80, 79 to 96, something
1: like that? Yeah, I guess you could go back to that, you know, the early first-gen Supras and some of the early, you know, or late RX-7. But I would probably, you know, my brain is sounding maybe 82 is probably a good starting point and and, and up to, what, maybe 98, um, maybe less, maybe 96. Um, I guess you could push into the early 2000s if you really wanted to. But, yeah, I'd say 82 to late 90s.
0: Right, right, because I know, like, the Acura NSX, that falls in both categories. I mean, it could be a mm-hmm. JDM. Oh, well, it depends on if it, it came from Japan or not, but right, right. You know, there's a lot of Asian cars in the young timers movement, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, and I think it really goes back to that. The the longevity, too, (laughs) and a lot of the build quality. I mean, that's what's shocking to me is, again, like a C4 from that same generation is, you know, not going up, but uh, an RX car is. And what that's all about, I don't know. Um, frankly, I'd rather own a Chevy every day of the week with a pushrod V8 than, you know, a twin turbo V6 from Japan, not least because I'm six foot five and can barely fit in a Supra, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just reports availability and, and things of that nature. I don't know, but people a different things. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So you, you kind of threw me a curveball there cause I was thinking, all right, young timer expert, probably Mercedes, BMWs, Audis are your wheelhouse you're throwing corvettes at me so what is your dream young timers car
1: oh, oh I mean I guess because they are top of mind right now um, I do I mean uh, yeah uh, maybe a, a first gen you know an e28m5 would be would be right there I think that to me that's a sweet spot um, because you know it's got the the, the holdover s38m1 engine but it's four doors so it's kind of nerdy. But then it's got that amazing um, E28 chassis, and you can, you know, row the gears in it. And it looks as good standing still as it does at 130, I think. But, like, again, one of the things that I always I, I hammer on, and you kind of have to if you're into the young-timer thing, because these kind of cars, except, you know, until you get to Camaro or, or, you know, Fox Body Mustang, a lot of these cars are kind of nerdy. I mean, let's be honest. It, it took a bunch of Japanese nerds to come up with the R32 uh, GTR, right? So, and I know I kind of like about the the nerdiness of some of those those beavers, especially the M cars from that era. They've got a bit of family utility, about a bit of nerdiness, but they're also got a little bit of a touch of evil to them, I think.
0: Yeah, that's really funny you said that because I've been trying to quantify young timers. What's in a young timers category? And I'm like, are 911s young timers? And by the the date range, yeah, they are. But then I think, well, the young timers are more nine twenty eight, you know, 944 turbos, you know, or the the mercedes station wagons you know it's kind of a still being defined i think
1: yeah yeah there is no great rhyme or reason to your point yeah i mean it can be old family saloons and wagons uh that are you know with big engines or it can be you know um really calculating japanese sports cars um and then they leave some american muscle out of it and jam or in porsches too but I guess the Luftwaffe cult is its, its own <laughs> thing now.
0: Yeah, now if you were to say, hey, I, I'll give you $100,000 to buy some Young Timer cars, what would you buy as an investment? Ones you think are going up in value based on the movement?
1: Mm, if you can still find an Audi Quattro that's not, that someone hasn't overly valued, I think that is a good one. Um, because I think a lot of people are, again, turning towards Toyota and BMW and, and overlooking some of the um, outliers gosh, I, I, I don't, do they even follow it? I mean, I think some of the, the eighties and nineties alphas are pretty cool. And I feel like those are getting overlooked a little bit. Um, but again, they're so breaky that I don't blame anyone for, for overlooking them. Um, I do think, I think parts availability is, gotta be an underlying part of all of this I, because again, you, you can get pretty much any part for an eighties BMW still through BMW, uh, and similarly with Mercedes. So I think those, um, yeah, a Mercedes. That's a big part. Yeah, what E and 190 E 24 valve are are going to be you know going up to got a hundred thousand. What else? I guess I'd have to start getting Nissans as well because they're not jumping up yet. Um, but I right. think they will. Similar with um, oh the the last last gen RX seven the round body one. Those starting to climb, but I think they're just going to enjoy even more growth
0: yeah those are cool little cars yeah
1: and i guess lastly I, i'd probably look at some of the rarer uh, versions of the irog z i think those are going to start climbing too uh, now that wow uh, now that the fox body mustangs are starting to be worth stupid money i think the camaros are going to start seeing their day as a sun but I'm I'm a little biased. I'm a GM guy, so <laughs> right, right.
0: Well, speaking of stupid money, you can go back and listen to my market moments on the Fox Body Mustangs, where I did a deep dive in the Fox Body Mustangs, which doesn't happen on many podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. Okay. So what, well, maybe, that's maybe
1: you can give because I was just uh, talking about this with my buddy. Maybe you can give me some insight. What is the appeal of the Fox Body Mustang? Because to me, it looks like an economy notchback designed in the Ford, you know, administration, which it is. Uh, but why are they so popular now? Why are they so hot? I just never saw. I,
0: yeah, I just think it's a generational thing. I think okay. like me, the first, first Mustang I ever drove was an 86 GT. Okay. And like my wife hates those body styles and I love them only because, yeah. you know, I had them right at that right moment. So I think that's what it is. I think it's parts availability to your point. Yeah. I think you can mod that engine so many ways to Sunday, you know, and forever they've been just cheap beaters, you know. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the ones that were taken care of and are rare, especially the R model Cobra, I think those things will continue to climb. So, mm. okay. yeah. Cool. Same with the Irox. You know, like you said, I think those, there's some really rare ones there. And the Pontiac Firehawks, I think those are going to go up as well. So, there's some good stuff there. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's really cool. Okay. Well, at the end of this, I like to play a little game. I did give you a heads up called Keep, Cash, and Crush. Okay. So you've you've thrown me a bunch of curveballs here cuz I picked for you three youngtimer cars that you're okay. you're familiar with. I think you wrote yep. articles on two of them. Uh I didn't pick any GM stuff. I would have done that if I knew you were a GM guy. So anyways, here's the three cars. So one of them yep. you get to keep keep forever when you have to cash in and when you have to crush. Okay. So your first car is a is the 89 Mercedes-Benz. This is the longest title in the world, by the way. Yeah. 1989 Mercedes-Benz 560 SEA SCE AMG 6.0 wide body. Oh, that was yeah. yeah, that was one of those RM cars. Yeah. The next one, also an RM car, you mentioned you mentioned it earlier pretty much, a 93 Toyota Supra twin turbo, but this is the sports roof one, not the target top. That's okay. over okay. 178. And then the third one is a 1994 BMW Alpina B12 oh. 5.7 coupe that was also part of that <laughs> European sale.
1: Oh, you're killing me, man. Uh, That's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah, um, you gotta you gotta keep the Toyota only because I think people are expecting those to keep climbing. I would what sell cash, you know the 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 Mercedes. I guess I I'd, I'd, I'd cr- crush the the Beamer. Um,
0: wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. So
0: you're cashing in the most expensive one. It actually sold for three hundred and thirty-six thousand dollars, doubling yeah. the high estimate of that yeah. sale. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to cash in.
1: Yeah, I think because for some reason my 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 gut tells me that's the top of that market for now. So we'll see, though. You might see one or two go higher, but I I don't I don't know if there's a, a big enough market for those. But we'll see. I could be wrong. I've been wrong a lot. So
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah. And so crushing the Alpina. Now speaking of which. You just wrote an article on the BMW M3 lightweights, mm-hmm. and you were pretty rough on those. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your gist on the lightweights?
1: Oh no, well let's let's uh, let not mince words here. I I, uh, I I was rough on that vehicle specifically. specifically yes, that sorry, specific one. and not not the the breed, right? I think they right. you know handled beautifully. They're pretty neat, but I think my real beef with that one was that I don't think it being owned by Paul Walker. Uh, Gives it any sort of extra value, um, also because I'm not a big fan of Paul Walker and what I feel like he did to the um, the, the car scene for uh, young people. But um, you know, glorifying street racing and, and adding uh, stupid coffee can mufflers to cars, I think, uh, really set us back a little while. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. So that again, I would, I love, I think those are very neat cars. But is it worth that kind of money, especially one just because, you know, a famous person sat in it and it numbered in amongst his collection? No. You know, I think you and I were talking about it offline, that what that one was wrecked and, and things of that nature. So um,
0: Right. It was a, I think it was a 4,000 mile example, but it yeah. sold for over 300 grand, which is crazy. Yeah. But it, right. it turns out it had been wrecked on a track or something. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. just really crazy math going on there in my head. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, thank you so- for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the stuff you're doing?
1: Yeah. Well, my Instagram is, you know, at Nick James. Pretty easy. Um, and uh, you can follow along what I'm doing there. If you want to check out Overland Expo, it's just overlandexpo.com. Um, we have uh, rescheduled our uh, West event, which is typically in May. Obviously, we have pushed that too late. Uh, late July for obvious reasons uh, and then we have one in August in um, Colorado and then one in East in uh, October in Virginia so um, hopefully folks will find some interest and in, in come out to that because there's room to love cars outside of just sports cars so
0: that's awesome man yeah. thanks yeah. thanks for your time today Nick cheers thank you sir thanks for listening to the collector car podcast don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the collector car podcast